0: Hello innovators, I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridge in the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. This episode is a bit different from our traditional episode. We are airing a conversation that took place during an MEP Force Roundtable back in August 2021 where I was joined by past Bridging the Gap guests, Travis Voss and Brandon Patterson, along with our friend, Adam Davis of Lighthouse Electric. Travis served as the moderator of the panel as we discussed the marketing problem the construction industry has.
1: Hope you enjoy this episode. All right, well, thanks Todd and welcome in everybody. Um, Thanks for checking out this round table panel discussion session that we're gonna have here. talking about how, how we can share our success stories. Um, I think that it's been, it's something I say commonly, I think it's something that we say commonly throughout the industry is that construction really has a PR problem. And I think this group here will kind of dig into that in, in many different ways. Um, so I'm Travis Voss, I'm the leader of innovative technology here at, the, at Helm Mechanical in, in Northern Illinois, Chicagoland area five years in construction, construction technologist. Um, My background is in software development, so I kind of come with this from a a different standpoint, but um, I'm going to kick it over to Todd. Todd, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself quick?
0: Yeah. Hello, everybody. I'm Todd Wyatt. I'm director of creative marketing here at Applied Software, and then I get to host and have fun on the Bridging the Gap podcast, uh, telling stories on construction, innovation, and the cool stuff that's happening in the industry and MEPs uh we cover a, a ton of topics about MEP um on the podcast and and really just helping to to change that perception problem and, and then the PR problem that, that Travis alluded to earlier so that's one of my my favorite topics when we get to <laughs> dive yeah. into that and, and
1: unpack that awesome yeah that passion really shows too that that makes it a lot of fun uh Brandon what about you
2: Brandon Patterson, uh, with Iowa skilled trades out of Des Moines, Iowa. We, uh, we're a workforce development initiative started from our local home builders association that kind of does events statewide, um, with schools and work on funding things and work through grants and all sorts of different stuff here.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And last but not least, Adam.
0: Hi,
3: uh, Adam Davis, uh, currently VDC manager with lighthouse electric based out of Pittsburgh. Um, bringing up the electrical end of this and trying to keep our, our electrical guys in the conversation and, and not to be left out of this whole BIM world. Um, it's been a challenge, especially more 10 years ago than today, but yeah, that's uh, looking forward to having a nice conversation with everyone.
1: Might as well go back to the professional storyteller, a guy with a, a little bit of background, I think, in the in the whole marketing world. Todd, why don't you, um, you kind of kick off with what what you've learned about telling stories based on, on your background and then kind of take us through, through what you've been learning on how to tell those, the different stories that you're, you're doing with the podcast and, and with the ebook that you've put out.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I think the reason why there's a problem in the the storytelling realm of construction is that storytelling is hard and it's, it's complicated. And we were Jen beforehand that there's so many different audiences and, and stakeholders that you have to be reaching out to and, and talking to just internally, not even outside of the industry and, and helping to pull new blood in. Um, and, and so it's, it's hard to know how to position the story and, and how to, how to talk to them about it and what they they really want to hear. And one of the, the for, first steps that I always talk about when you are trying to give a good compelling story to an audience no matter what you're trying to tell them the first thing is to shut up and and listen if if you're doing all the talking right out the gate your story's gonna suck <laughs> you have to slow down and, and hear what their their pain points are where they're talking about it. so then you know how to start mapping the conversation and, and mapping the examples and the stories and the the pain points to their their real expressed needs that they're they're talking about if not you're just showing up and throwing up of Right. What you think their perception or what their
1: pain point is, but you could be way off base and be boring us all. Get out. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think that actually kicks it right, not right to Brandon then, because with Brandon, when do you what you're doing with the skills trades and you're trying to to promote that there in the Iowa and see, was it Des Moines area, what what are you hearing that people are telling you that they know about construction in in what? How do you recraft your message then to to fit their perceptions or to push it back on their perceptions.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of what we hear is just kind of like maybe broken or like half truths of the, uh, the industry. And, you know, some of that's probably just, you know, they hear it third hand in the first place. So if you're talking about like a union shop and the pathways, you have to go through a union shop or a non-union shop and the pathways you have to go through there. They don't fully understand maybe some of like the earn while you learn um, type of apprenticeships, programs that are out there whether you're on either side of the aisle there or union versus non-union type thing. Um, so it gets confusing. The terminology is like our construction industry has our own terminology and we really probably should try and cross over to their way of, of how they would talk about it and what they would call it to make it uh, you know, more clear on what we're talking about. Um, that's definitely some of it. You still hear the stories about the, the parents being part of the problem, and I think some of that is that we haven't marketed to the parents correctly, uh, uh, as well as not marketing the students correctly. But um, yeah, it's stuff uh,
1: that we're definitely still seeing out there for sure. Yeah. Now, Adam, you touched on something quick that, it, that I want to. When your intro, you were you, you you know we you were saying that that you don't want to let the electricals get behind in BIM, so. Um, I know you're pretty active out there in kind of the the networking sphere. You and I have bumped into each other, well, virtually for a while now, but most recently in person. How are you taking some of the successes from the other trades and bringing it back to the electrical world to try to promote more BIM usage?
3: Uh, well, good good question, Travis. I I don't know that... <laughs> There's there's a lot of successes out there from that we can learn a lot of things we can learn from the mechanical and plumbing you know they're a little ahead of us in the integration of technology BIM fabrication workflows etc. Um, so we're glomming onto that success from an electrical and we have our own nuances. Um, it, it, what I've seen work is those folks get involved with whether it's it's trade trade schools or other college style programs. That's what I've found in my networking circles is to, they've told me um, whether it's an ITT tech, which is maybe more defunct now, but back in the day, that was kind of a, a school we would go to and we'd have these uh, these sessions where all of your work, your companies would come in and try to figure out what's best for the curriculum, um, curriculum building groups in these tech schools or colleges and and mechanical, all the mechanical folks were already there um, but electrical was getting left out a lot of architects were there and electrical was was getting added as we started becoming a bigger part of the building process um, and that that seemed to work pretty well in just be creating awareness that there is an electrical component to design construction technology and whether it's on the BIM side whether it's on the project management side um, those types of things really did Get some traction with us and helped us stay relevant in those discussions.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, this one I want to kind of hopefully we all we all tap into here, but we 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 talked about the different the different types of stories in a little bit earlier before we started recording, we talked about how um, <clears throat> you're either going to tell a different story or you're going to change the flavor of the story based on on the audience, right? And in the target. Um, Adam, I'll start back with you because you, you kind of planted the seed is, you know, what, what would you say are some of the the target audiences that you're really trying to hit because we, we have to spray to so many fields right now and, and how do you change that, that discussions, whether it's internal, whether you're trying to talk to, uh, you know, a, another contract partner, whether you're talking to an owner. Um, and I think that like, each one has its own challenges and needs to hear a, a slightly different story.
3: Yeah, and I, and I think it was, uh, was, was Todd that said, listen a little bit. Um, and, and that does help to understand when, when we're talking to an owner, there are certain things that are important to them. You know, it, it, I did a lot of oil and gas work. Well, what was important to them was time to market. Um, that was number one. Uh, when you look at healthcare, it's probably quality of care, quality of building, redundancy, reliability. So each, each owner even has specific things that are unique to them. Uh, so you have to frame your 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 success story that way. Um, when I was dealing with a lot of midstream oil and gas clients, it was talking more about schedule and commissioning and those types of things that were very uh, important to them. And that's 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 more cross you know cross the industry there. But um, yeah. Owners have their own requirements. And I think there's there we see that with owner conferences. So you have a specific group of folks and a specific story that you would tell at maybe a a construction user roundtable or uh, maybe an LCI where you get more general contractors, you get more, you get more owners participating in them, um, versus going to a local technical school like Pittsburgh Technical College, where where I am, and I'm telling a story there. That's more you know, gamifying construction to use a buzzword. Um, and, and what's cool about 3D and how we use the tools that these, these younger folks are learning um, and, and to make them cool and interesting. Um, maybe the owner doesn't care necessarily about the cool VR aspect of it, but, but the, the kid in college might might a little bit more.
0: Create a common data environment for your team with 360 Sync. 360 Sync automatically transfers, organize, and archives project files across applications. It is the only way to automatically sync project files between your server, Procore, BIM 360, Bluebeam, or any other platform you use. 360 Sync is the only document management system designed by and for the AEC industry. Users have automatically transferred over 1 million files and over 2 million syncs, set it and forget it. Create a common data environment for your team today using 360Sync. Visit asti.com slash 360Sync for more information.
1: Sure. Brandon, I'm sure you, I mean, you touched both obviously with the workforce side, but I'm sure you touched some contractor groups and maybe even some owners groups. I mean, what stories are you trying to fashion for each one of those? Yeah, I definitely
2: think that there's different audiences, like you said. So Um, When we're out there trying to connect with, you know, businesses, we're definitely probably trying to tell them as far as Iowa Skilled Trades goes, maybe like our history, our our success of getting kids in our programs and to our events and things like that. So they see why they should get involved with us. Um, But as far as like the other different groups, I mean, you kind of have all of these different types of marketing campaigns that you could run. I mean, you have like a general awareness campaign, which would be for like just the You know, general public that you would put out on the radio or football game or whatever about the, you know, the types of things that, you know, are available in the skilled trades. And then you have your schools and your counselors that you should probably be actively marketing to as far as that group of people who has that influence over those students that will be entering the workforce. And then you have, you know, like your recruiters or your business owners, like you said, and you would market definitely different to them too. And, you know, with students, obviously we're going after things like TikTok. You know, with a with a, something with recruiters or something with the businesses, you know, on the social I think media. Think Todd side. needs to
1: do a dance. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's crazy, but they work. Uh, you know, and then with like recruiters or or business owners, you know, you'd be going after, you know, obviously like a social media side, like the LinkedIn and stuff like that. But then um, you could still use like video marketing campaigns and kind of that still crosses over some of the other ones as well. But we're definitely social media heavy. We're definitely uh, have a lot of video content out there, and continue to create more, and just try and find new ways to go where those people are instead of have them try and come to us and find us, which is
1: harder to do. Sure, Todd, what do you want to add on there? Because you, I mean, you you're obviously the, with the podcast. It's 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 really focused on that innovation standpoint, but you still have to to target multiple office or more, multi, multiple multiple listeners and, and kind of what that innovation means to, you know, we say it's the innovation in construction, but again, like we all just spoke, like there's several players inside of that. Yeah.
0: Well, um, well, I think that that maybe the number one mistake that most people make when thinking about a story or any type of narrative that they're trying to to get across is you are not the hero of the story. (laughs) Don't make yourself the hero of the story. And it's such an easy, temptation for us all to, to fall into because we want to tell what we're doing and our side of it. And, um, but it's, it's a big mistake. So don't do it Mm -hmm. no matter how you're, you're positioning it. Uh, you are the guide in this story. And so Brendan I I love what you guys were, were saying there of you, you are shifting even the channels and the tactics that you're going out to, to meet your audience where they're at. And I think that that's, the, the key there is meet people where they're at, meet them with, uh, the, the, the different kind of, of stories that they're, they're trying to tell. So Travis, for your question on the, how do you kind of rephrase innovation? I, I asked some common questions every single podcast and you're getting very different perspectives every time those questions are, are asked. So like the Final question on, on any episode is, is what does innovation mean to you? And it seems like such a simple question, but it is amazing to me <laughs> how many people give me a very different answer. And I'm still hearing a hundred plus episodes, still hearing right. new answers that I'm like, oh, I've never thought about that being tied to, to innovation or nobody's said that before. And so having kind of those, those common themes that you are coming back to and, hearing it from those different vantage points on the podcast, at least I'm able to, to kind of hit those different audiences. So maybe not in a particular episode, I'm hitting all those audiences, but over the collective,
1: I'm hitting those different audiences. Cool. Well, that I want to pull back out one of those, one of those words there you said hero. um, And this was kind of part of the genesis of the idea for the roundtable When I, when I pitched it to you and um, I don't want to blow my, one big question in the middle of the, of the day, so hopefully Todd, you'll, you'll be able to back me up here with some more. But we, we, we don't want to tell, we don't want to tell the stories where, where we're always the hero, but I would say one of the things that we really fail at in construction is actually sharing our successes. Um, you know, I don't think that there there's pockets here and there of a successful IPD project or a successful technology, Implementation and the technology of implementations are, are getting a little bit more, um, and that's probably fueled more by the software companies than it is the contractors honestly. So um, maybe we'll go back around the horn again and, and get each of your insights. But why why do you think that there is such um, why do we have such a difficult time sharing our own successes? And, and maybe some of it is nodding to want nodding one to toot our own horns. But I think that there's more to it, and and I'm talking about. Big and little successes. I, I don't think that we do a good job of sharing all of those. Ty, do you want to kick it back off?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think the humility aspect is prevalent. Uh, I, I don't think that that's the the full aspect of it. I, it's one of the parts of the construction industry that I really like and appreciate is that there is this um, humility that kind of runs through the industry of you know people are just trying to do their job get the building built and, and move on to the next thing that they're, they're not sitting there just kind of staring at themselves and saying, look at this, let's build a big monument. Cause I, I built this building. Uh, and, and that's noteworthy, um, but <laughs> it has this pitfall and, and this problem is that it's, it creates this passiveness in the industry and kind of uh, outsources the storytelling and the narrative to people that aren't in, the industry and know what's going on. I also think the, the second part of that is, is misery loves company. <laughs> and so it's easier to tell the, the negative stories and, and relate on on that level. Maybe going back because of the humility aspect, you don't want to be seen as a, a braggart sure. or you know right. tooting your own horn there that it's it kind of becomes the, the lowest common denominator is the, the easy thing to talk about.
1: Well and I think and this just popped in and, and Brandon I hope you jump in too here is that the, the fact that Um, some of those times when we've been to conferences and there is the, 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 whatever, the 10, $10 billion GC up there telling this big success story, it feels kind of disingenuous. Right. And I think that we're, we're a little afraid of of coming off of that. Um, Brandon, have, have you found any, what do you think of some of the struggles that we have with actually sharing our success stories? Yeah, I think it's definitely,
2: you know, it's, it might even be more simple than what we're making it. You know, it is like people are, I think Todd even said, like, we're too busy to even, you know, on to the next one, on to the next one. We're really, maybe what we should be thinking is how do we share that, uh, share the successes over the length of the project. So when the next one does come up, you can move and you can start sharing those stories, right? Like you could, Uh, you know, start a hashtag because you can make hashtags searchable and you can, they can be branded to your company and then branded maybe to the job site address or the job site name. You can have project managers, you can have laborers, you can have people like that tell the stories throughout the project of the successes. And even the negative stuff, the negative stuff is real. Like, I mean, it needs to be controlled. You don't want it to come across as, you know, awful and those types of things, but it's part of the job. Bad things happen sometimes, you know, orders get missed or, delayed or whatever, you know, stuff happens on a job site and tell those stories too. It's part of, um, you know, what happens. And I think we need to, you know, take back, I've said it before, is take back some of the control of who's sharing our our stories and things like that. We need to control those messages instead of just giving them to, you know, may, maybe a marketing company or somebody that doesn't know anything about these jobs. Uh, we need to put it in the hands of the people who are actually on the job sites or part of that business and tell those stories. So I think that um, that's definitely part of it for sure.
0: Yeah. I think you have to be authentic in, in how you're telling the story. So Brandon, to, to your point of, of sharing some of the the bad, there's nothing wrong with that. No, nope. you know, be realistic in, in what you're doing. And I think Travis, I think that's why some of those, uh, you know, big flashy pie in the sky presentations at, at conferences kind of fall flat is it's too big and too grand that mm-hmm. the most people can't relate to. So it, it looks cool. That's a a cool project, but nobody's going to go back in and really implement most of that in their day-to-day job. So it seems unrelatable and unattainable. And so people just kind of throw their hands up and go, well, you know, it's a flash in the pan. Right. Yeah. And in my
2: world where we're trying to catch the next generation of the workforce or kind of get the schools and the counselors and the parents and stuff to, uh, see it and like what we're putting out there is it's nice to see the stories of somebody who maybe started as like a deck builder or a shed builder and then follow his story or her story throughout maybe uh, Instagram or Facebook or wherever they post a lot. And then five years later, all of a sudden they're building custom homes. And it's the process. or maybe they start as labor and then they have being you know, like a project coordinator or something like that to see their process over the years and see where they're at the pathway that's what people really want to see is like the the pathway to becoming their own boss, especially this next generation of people coming up really love the entrepreneur, small business minded, like they want to be their own boss. So how do we show them that pathway to get there? And you could easily do that through social media and the, and the types of posts and stuff that you put out there every day.
3: I think you hit on something there, Brandon, where it's, and, and then this goes back to what Todd said was, I mean, telling a human story connects with folks a lot easier than putting a building up there and watching it get built in some other way, shape or form. Um, but in the construction industry, it's there's a lot of humility. So telling the human story you know, from the first person is is not something that's easy to extract from from our industry in general. Um, so it's a challenge against ourselves kind of to figure out how do we tell a story in a way that, that feels that doesn't make people feel vulnerable, but makes people have some pride and, and balances that humility versus uh, braggartness that we would want to see from everyone. Um, you know, I, I know projects that I work on, I drive by them no matter who's in the car and I'm like, Oh, I worked on that or I built that over there. Um, so there is this sense of pride in what you're doing and how you're, how your what your accomplishment is. But during the project, the, the lesson learned is what did we do wrong? How can we fix that problem? Let's attack that issue we had. Um, but a lesson learned doesn't have to be a, a a bad thing. It can be a good thing. And how do we take those good things that are happening during the project and attach a hashtag to it or attach something that helps us tell that story throughout the process? Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's not an easy win, but no. yeah, I think we're having a good discussion to try to figure out ways to make it happen.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I think you bring up an interesting point, Adam, of uh, not wanting to kind of tell your own story, so start by telling somebody else's story, sure. then too, and, and make it kind of giving you that arm's length that it's it it's doesn't. Hey, it goes back to you're not the hero, you're the guide, and so you're helping a guide uh, in that endeavor by by sharing somebody else's. Um,
1: I, I saw Christopher's chat. Yeah, I was gonna say something about that. I want to get each of your take on this because it's something I heard about. I hear all the time. If I share all my successes, then I give away my competitive advantage. And, and you know, Adam, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that before before um, everybody else just jumps all over it, because I think, it, yeah, I think yeah. it's worth the, noting.
3: A competitive advantage exists, right? So that, that's a real thing. Um, but what's hard to understand, and it took me a long time to figure out that, hey, if today I'm clicking a button and all of a sudden prefab exists in the world tomorrow, right? Um, The back end that it takes to get from whatever, the the process mapping, the the weeks of sticky notes, the, the understanding of which softwares are gonna integrate to help my workflow happen. Those are the things that take all the time and effort to get that competitive advantage. And in my opinion, sharing that is only gonna help you grow your network, grow your process, grow your industry, grow your company. Um, I've always been very transparent. I've seen that, like Todd said, in this industry, it's been very, very interesting that people are willing to share as much as they are, even now more than before, maybe, as technologies come in, the social media has blown up in the last 10 years and how we share things. Um, But I I don't see a competitive advantage today is if you don't continuously improve, it's going to go away. And if that's how you are, and you're going to protect that, then you're just not going to be around in the future. So If you're going to share, you have to be willing to be a mentor, to be a coach, to be a guide to others in your industry. Um, The the, the competitive advantage is a real thing, but it's only short-lived unless you're continuously improving and helping others only helps yourself, I guess, is the way I look at it.
0: The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries. By empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit ASTi.com and let them know we sent you.
1: Brandon. For anyone, you got anything to add to that
2: Yeah I think that's something that you know we run into here as far as like some of our members would say well like you know if we offer this and we do this then you know eventually my we're talking about workers my workers will leave because I've given them all this education or I've given them all these things um, so I'm not going to do that but to me it's more about and, and a lot of the people that I that follow and watch and who are doing amazing jobs in our industry are the people who add the most value. You know, look at all like, and this is not our world at all, really. I mean, in a way it is, but look at how much value Gary V adds on a daily basis to the people of the world for free. And he's got one of the largest marketing firms in the world. So like that added value to me is, you know, show those things, show those processes and you might lose something there, but then it was, you know, it was never that important. Anyway, Your more business is going to come to you from adding value, I think, than it is from you know, kind of just holding all your information close
1: to the chest. Todd, I know you got something to, to chime in with that too. <laughs> no, I more than agree with all <laughs> that for sure. Uh, I,
0: I think that the more you hold close to the vest, the more you have to lose and the quicker you're going to lose it too. But if you share it out to Brandon's point of what <laughs> Gary V is a, a great example, um, more comes back to you and and even there's a way to share things without saying here's our exact recipe of how we do it and let's just take even basic software there are like revit everybody's going to use revit slightly differently and have different process even though it's the same software application it's how you're going to use it is is pretty much the same it's similar but there's all these little tweaks there's different add-ons that different people have and so nobody has the exact same sauce. So you can share how you're using it without giving the behind the scenes nitty gritty details of it. And, uh, you know, really kind of show that that innovation story. And, and Adam, you're spot on with, even if somebody tries to take your, your recipe and they have it exactly, it's going to take them a long time to get right. to where you are when you tell that story. And you're still getting better and improving. So by the time they get to where you told the story, you're, you know, six, seven steps ahead of where you you were back then. And so, um, yeah, I don't think that that's a, that that shouldn't
1: be that big a fear. That's a great point from, from Darren Young too. And it was going to kind of elaborate it, you know, that, excuse me, um, Mm -hmm. your, your competitive advantage from, from successful companies that I've seen have, has always been your people and your culture. And to Brandon's point, like you, you can train up people with your process and they, they are going to leave, but for, for good, strong companies, if your culture is right, you can, you can open up your books wide open. You can show them how to get right A to Z, but nobody's going to replicate your process because they don't have, you don't, they don't have your, whatever that is, that, that is your company and, and they're not going to be anywhere near as successful, as successful as you are. I was going to pivot quick and and see if we can get down to some of the roots of this Uh, and you know I, i talked a little bit earlier about how some of the flashes we've seen where where especially from from the macro level in construction of how we might be able to do construction better um i know we all being in the specialty trades harp about better ways that we can get involved and get involved earlier how how are we not telling those successful stories right so they seem scalable? And I think I'm I'm gonna guess Todd maybe has some thoughts on on that because I I think that we we get under this impression that well that worked on that job that worked with with that owner that GC. How can we do that better? So it so that if that you know I'll I'll just keep throwing IPD out there because it seems to be the fancy thing right now. It's like how do we get more more owners interested in that?
0: Yeah. Uh... I think it's a great question. I, I think it goes back to kind of where we we started with listening to where they're coming from. And there's a lot of education game that has to go on in your storytelling as well, too. I don't think you can assume that all owners are are coming in with the same information and in, at the same starting ground. so and it never hurts to go back and and repeat the the basics and frame it in your methodology and and how your History and your experience plays into that, and so I, I think taking time at the the beginning when you're having conversations with owners and and kind of reframing the conversation in the direction that you're wanting to go, instead of allowing uh, assumptions to frame the conversation or um, you know, even <laughs> what the owner is is coming out and, and saying, uh, I, I think it's it's taking time, unpacking it and really being specific in your terminology. I think Brandon, you started it at the beginning of talking about the different terms that, that we use in the industry and the acronyms and how it kind of means a little something different to different people. And um, I'm a big believer in defining the terms right at the beginning so that everybody's on the, the same page of, of what you're meaning that that term to be. Um, so a little bit of rambling, but I think going back to the, the basics defining terms And then framing where you're trying to go with that conversation and and pulling people into your narrative, not following along other assumptions.
1: Yeah. Brandon, with your message, are you you working on ways to make that scalable as well? I'm sure you work with other associations and and whatnot and are doing some sharing there. Yeah. I I mean, so we're an open book
2: when it comes to sharing our information, especially with other associations or other people looking to replicate what we've done. I literally could care less. I mean, you're not my, you're not, you're not <laughs> over here. We don't have a lot of people who are, you know, kind of like, you know, our enemies or anything like that to me, collaboration is more important. So we do a lot of work with people who would normally say, Oh, you know, the unions are a competition and they're not our competition We're yeah, we're going after the same people in the workforce, but to us you know, getting the word out and doing those things is more important. So yeah, we'll share the, our success stories and our failures with anybody who wants to hear who's trying to replicate any of that stuff. I think the storytelling stuff like Todd said is super important. Expectations in our world is very important um, on so many different levels. And then, yeah, just, you know, trying to once again, take control of your message and, and show that stuff. I mean, I know people, I think, you know, talking about like building science or why use a certain product on a certain job I think, you know, building better, like you talked about, showing that type of stuff is is awesome. And there are people in my world anyway that do a great job of doing that. And they share that information on a daily
1: basis and they give that out for free and it's awesome. I love it. Adam, I'm assuming that you would love that too.
3: Yeah, yeah I'll take everything <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'll use it. Maybe I won't, but right. I'll, I'll look at everything, um, you, you know, I, I think about when we're telling these stories, right? Whether it's the owner, whether it's our neighbor, whether it's anybody that we run into, are we all telling the same story from our own company? I think that's something that I, I think we're missing a little bit is, are we training our own folks on, on an elevator pitch, so to speak? And is it the same one? Are, are we all giving the same look at our own company internally, our own construction industry internally? And I think. No, is the answer, but do we at least have the same messaging? It could be a different story with the same messaging. Um, I, that's something that we might, we might do a better job at. I'm, you know, I'm making notes here while, while we're having the conversation because you know, these are thought processes that we don't stop to have um, during the throes of a battle of a project. And, and I think it's important that we at least have a, a consistent message and, and that's framed in, in a story that hits multiple people. So, but yeah, taking and sharing and collaborating is definitely, without, without a doubt, part of my nature, and it just goes with the, with the industry here.
1: I want to stay on the industry topic, because I, I was thinking about talking a little bit more about celebrating the wins internally for the innovation part, but the, the industry topic really keeps hitting. I mean, do we, and I'm just going to throw this out there and everybody just just go after it do we need to collectively as a construction industry, right, or or whoever that ends to be, do we need to do what the military did in the nineties and just have a massive PR campaign?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, you're in charge. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that we do because I mean, and, and it's proven to be successful. Look at like Mike Rowe and what all he's doing to, to push the, the narrative. There's a, a hunger there and there's a, audience there that is interested and uh you know ready to engage in it but they just don't know And where do they go to find out anything about construction Uh, i have no idea you know i don't know where people are getting their their information from besides just you know tv shows of the stereotype construction worker from 30 40 years ago probably uh so uh, yeah there's I, i think that we do. We, we have this huge skilled labor shortage. It's not going away. It's only getting worse and worse. I know everybody's tired of, of talking about the the skilled labor shortage, but it's a, it's a reality. We have to pull in new audiences and, and new segments into the industry, but we are losing the the PR game in construction right now on why people should even look at the construction industry as a, as a valid option and the growth potential in the industry is enormous too and and nobody knows that they think that you're just going to be um you know stuck swinging a hammer nothing wrong with that but you know they think that you're just gonna be doing that the rest of the room and it's more a a job instead of a career and i think we have to really stem the turn the tide in that for sure and that takes a collective effort from everybody across the industry
2: and that's why i said we gotta take control of our own narrative and our own story Mm You know, not just as individuals and as, you know, businesses or corporations, but as collective. That's why I think the collaboration uh, uh, or coalition type forces that you see out there, whether it's uh, CEFGA in Georgia or whether it's Build California or Build Alabama or Build Your Future in Indiana, like these are big coalitions or even state funded programs that are doing an awesome job of putting money where their mouth is. And they're putting some effort in behind this as a huge campaign. But unfortunately, not everybody has those abilities or capacities or capabilities. And it takes a little bit longer to get things like that going than one would think. I know, because we've gone through plenty of that. Um, you know, Generation T with Lowe's is a corporate way to look at it. And I know Home Depot also put in like $55 million or something like that to get their Uh, own staff and those people educated in the future workforce, whether it be home building or, you know, commercial construction or whatever. So I think that uh, taking our own story back and controlling that and, and really educating people on, you know, everything, like you said, and I mentioned it too, is showing them the pathway to become your own small business owner, be that entrepreneur. It's not as hard as you, I mean, it's hard, but I mean, it's not as like, like you mentioned, swinging the hammer the rest of your life. This isn't the last place that you have to be unless you want to be there. You, there's so many different careers within each segment of our industry, right? You work for a plumbing company where well, you're not just plumbers, aren't the only ones that work for a plumbing company. You have CMOs, CFOs, you have CEOs, you know, depending on how big it is. You have service techs, you have master plumbers, you have people that are creating what, like if you're doing a commercial job, obviously the BIM mapping and stuff like that, there's so many different pieces of those careers in there. So like, yeah, I mean, you don't have to be stuck in one place the rest of your life if you don't want to be, and putting that message out there and showing those stories is super important.
1: Well, I think that, that a campaign like that not only could educate potential people to join the workforce but actually educate the industry itself right because I think that even within the industry itself whether it's delivery methods whether it's prefabrication whether it's BIM not everybody understands the same story right so I think that in, in having it being on a national stage or something like that I think that 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 could benefit our current ranks and our potential ranks what do you think Adam
3: Thinking how, right? (laughs) Um, The the good news is, I think we all want it, right? That that's the easy, the easy thing is to say yes. We, I mean, we're all sitting here from different parts of the industry, and we all agree that that's something that would benefit us. Um, It's interesting to see, you know, Travis, you were there. We had mechanical, sheet metal, and electrical task force all meet together in the same room. so I think we're understanding the interdependencies, whether it's union, non-union uh, laborers or technicians, service techs, whatever, owners, this whole industry is more interconnected than we think and, and helping, you know, the rising tide floats all ships higher, right? That's that's a, a message that we can all learn from and a national campaign that focuses on stories for certain people it would definitely help the whole industry as a whole. and and. The way you put it, Travis, it would even help our own industry and the people that are already here learn more about what else is out there that they can aspire to within their own company or other companies.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks. Hey, innovators. Over the last year hosting this podcast, recording over 65 episodes with the greatest minds throughout the construction industry, I started to notice common themes in each episode. We've had waves of disruption and a digital transformation impacting every aspect of construction and the leadership skills required to successfully navigate these waters. The simple fact is there are those who allow themselves to be carried along by the waves of changes taking place, and there are others who wanna take an active part in changing things for the better. In my opinion, during times of disruption, good leadership is all the more important. People will follow a compelling vision and are looking for leaders to pave the way, no matter where they are in the industry. So I decided to compile my thoughts into an ebook for my listeners. You can download my new ebook titled Leading Through Disruption and Digital Transformation for free at bridgingthegappod.com ebook. Once you do, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating.
1: I was hoping we maybe get a little bit more banter from the peanut gallery. So um, I'm going to throw another little softball out there, I guess, and and maybe bring it back to some of the internal stories and um, just kind of pick your brains a little bit. You know, I did a, um, I did a leadership course here recently locally. And and one of the things that they kept talking about was celebrating the wins. Um, and, And it doesn't matter how small. So I'll start with Adam again. How are you, how are you kind of using those wins? How are you telling those stories internally um, to not only fuel adoption of whatever it is, but get interested in more innovation?
3: So this is uh, definitely a weakness of mine. <laughs> uh, I've written it down on reviews for myself, and um, I, I'm. It, it may be a construction thing. It may be a mindset thing. Um, so we have these little little one-liners inside of a a weekly meeting. So if we'll have a departmental meeting, um, it'll be, you know, cool ideas or tips and tricks, or I've, I've heard it called a couple different things, but um, it's always how I would start a meeting. And I would ask the team to come and, and there'd be 20 folks or so in our meeting and say, okay, somebody give me something cool they saw last week. And it doesn't have to be a Revit plugin. It doesn't have to be a Navisworks tool. It doesn't have to be a a machine tool. It could be a 3D printed building. It could be some kind of cool holographic thing or um, a VR tool or something cool that's out there that could be adjacent or parallel to what we're doing inside of our own company. Um, It it may not be a win, but it gets people engaged in, in sharing what they have and then Engaged and and once you encourage the sharing, um, whether it's something cool they saw on the internet, they're more willing to share other things. So I think that's part of it is hey, I, I figured out this cool way to dimension, to do a string dimension in Revit or to create a new assembly that auto dimensions or tags or places or all these other processes that exist. And people may be reluctant to share because nobody, their manager didn't tell them to do it or nobody really approved it outside this SOP that was written. Um, so just share, encouraging sharing inside of the team that, that I have seemed to help with those storytelling um, internal. Um, it wasn't necessarily wins, it could be losses or benefits or tools, but the, the sharing environment needs to be encouraged for people to feel confident that they can do all that and they can share a win, whether it's a, a win a loss or whatever sure. it
1: might be. Brandon, I'm sure you have some similar stories about how you're kind of celebrating whatever it is that maybe you get additional engagement or anything. You know, how are you? How are you selling those stories internally for your your organization?
2: Yeah, with the with the innovation piece, I think it's kind of like just talking about. I think goes back to stigma and perception and all that stuff, and not just skilled trades construction but add in manufacturing and those types of things and everybody just assumes you're in a dark dingy warehouse or you're in a hole or you're in a you know dark and nasty manufacturing facility when it couldn't be further from the truth in you know today's technological age like there's so much like Pella manufacturing not far from here window manufacturer door manufacturer it's crazy what they have in there I mean they've got the robots from you know Uh, Iron Man and stuff, putting things together with humans, you know, obviously assisting in that and just trying to showcase kind of like some of those things. And a lot of that has to do with your marketing too. So when you're doing your marketing, add those pieces in there so people can see them and ask questions about them. So we share, you know, obviously things like that. And it's just I think it's going to take time regardless because, because we're, you know, 40, 50 years behind on the stigma perception train here and people controlling our narrative. So we have to start getting that stuff out there and start showing them technology and stuff that's out there now. Like Hilti is somebody who I feel like is doing a decent job right now. They have this little exoskeleton thing that goes on your back that helps people, you know, with the weight of like putting drywall to the ceiling and stuff like that. So trying to show just those little advances and things like that, that help your day-to-day and help create longevity in those jobs too is super important. What
1: about you, Todd? How are you telling those success stories internally to kind of fly in the flames and, and keep things growing there?
0: Yeah. Uh, so this is it more in the, the context of my marketing team, but the, the principle applies, I think, outside. Can, anybody can latch onto this. Um, one of the things that we really like is having test environments and, and little laboratories where go try a crazy idea that you can think of. So we make it a competition because I'm freakishly competitive <laughs> by nature, so I make everything a competition. but uh, people can come to the table, they present whatever idea that they want. Sky's the limit. They have you know, a set time frame that they can test whatever. They set their own criteria of this is what I'm testing, this is the benchmark that we're trying to hit. This is what uh, success looks like. This is what not a success looks like. <laughs> and then we, we track it for a certain amount of time. And if it fails, then no harm, no foul. We have it, you know, limited and, and scoped. It's, it's not going to affect anything super big, but um, if it succeeds and, and most of them, frankly, do pretty well, uh, we've learned something to continue on and to expand and double down in that area. And, Most of the times that they come up with ideas, I would have never thought of the idea and the concept. And so, um, yeah, I think providing kind of that safe place to fail is, is really valuable of, you know, put it in, put in some guardrail. So it's not going to tank a project or anything, but, (laughs) uh, have that kind of free flowing innovation laboratory to test out ideas is, um, that's been really helpful for us. And I think that that principle is applicable.
1: Yeah. I think that definitely making people be making people feel comfortable where you can celebrate the whim wins and they know that they're not going to be flogged for failing. Right. I think that that's really important. Yeah. Cause that's the fear I think with most people,
0: I, I don't, there's some people that hate change obviously, but there's a lot of people want to try something and are willing to offer ideas and suggestions to the table, but they're scared that if it goes south, then they're going to get all the blame and, you know, just be beaten. Uh, And a lot of times they they probably are, but I think allowing that that space where they can, they can try it out is going to really, um, really help
1: in that area for sure. As the anonymous attendee here says, uh, you learn more from failure than you do success. So, I mean, I guess that does make a a point. We, we've said it a couple of times that, that when you're, when you're telling your stories um, and, and I try to do this a lot as I, I've done more presentations lately, um, you know, tell what, tell them what, what, right. And be very honest with what went wrong. You know, I, I try to be very transparent with that, that we went this direction and it sucked, but we learned this and we pivoted and we went back the other way. So I
0: think there's a caveat to that though, that it's not just, acknowledging that it was a failure it's really being honest and intentional about what led up to that failure because that's where you're going to find the learnings not just oh this didn't work so scrap the whole thing it it maybe it didn't work because of one little thing and the process could have worked you just didn't set it up for success and so really get a lot of different perspectives in on that as well too right to have a full picture on that
1: Cool. Uh, did we hit on any of these questions or do you have any questions left, Todd, on your little sheet there that we didn't, <laughs> we didn't bring up? Uh, well, Brandon brought
0: up something that is, is interesting. I, I wrote down a, a question while you were talking just a couple minutes ago, Brandon. On You mentioned that we were like 40 or 50 years behind in owning the, the narrative. Well, what do you think led to the kind of fall from grace for construction? When did construction become uncool?
2: Yeah. I don't know when it technically became, I mean, in my world, it didn't ever become uncool because I grew up in it, but uh, you know, the, I think obviously it was when, you know, our schools and counselors and everybody started pushing four-year degrees in college and it became a profitable business in its own that uh, people started, you know, pushing that. And, you know, unfortunately it still exists today where certain ones are, are pushing that over the other. And during that time, while that was happening, our industry didn't do anything about controlling their narrative and things then. They, they did what they did for the 10 or 15 or 20 years or 100 years before that and never changed anything. They never adapted to what was actually happening. And they might not even seen it happening, right? But now we're in this whole big thing where we have a generation of people retiring over the next you know five to 10 years of the baby boomers. And then we had things like the recession or in my world, we had things like a derecho, which ripped our state apart last year. And then we already were in a huge place, like huge hole trying to find workers. And now you had on the top of the pandemic and some people will go to work and some people won't. So you just, it keeps taking this bigger bite out of our workforce and the available people that are out there. And it's like, man, we're in big trouble. So I think it's just a compounding effect. I, I blame my you know, family just as much as anybody else. I never saw them do anything more than give a scholarship away, right? When, when I was growing up, as far as what they were doing to hire that next generation of the workforce, people just came to them because they're a good uh, business in a town that, you know, needs workers and things like that. But they weren't out there actively recruiting uh, in like an innovative way or doing something that somebody else wasn't doing. They were just, you know, help wanted signs and that doesn't work.
1: No, it does not. We've we've actually started to get really involved. Um, I know I know uh, the labor unions and a lot of the groups like yours, Brandon, have, have been, but contractors actually going out to high school job fairs right now. I think that that's something that we've done a lot. In you know, we go to a, you go to a, a high school job fair and you have 50, 15 year olds lining up to put on the Hololens and getting them to realize that that what they're seeing is you know you know whatever the mechanical room of the, of the school or anything like that 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 has been at least a start, but yeah, we need to get, we need to get back out ahead of that narrative. I completely agree.
3: Yeah. I, I, I can't help it because I I think about how my, my dad and my my parents always said I had to go to college and, and I guess I tried that and I failed. Um, Yeah. We, but, but then I said, okay, I need to figure out something else to do. And I ended up going to a drafting school and then I ended up working in construction and it wasn't, I never, grew up saying, I want to be, I wanted to be a race car driver, not a construction worker, (laughs) but, um, but I never had a stigma in my head against construction. Um, but I never had this perception when I was growing up that that was the, you know, the aspiration. Um, I, I think it was a, it was a stigma around it. I was definitely, it was definitely a high school, um, peer pressure thing too. And I, I don't think that's changed. So I graduated in '98. My godson just graduated two years ago, in, uh, in in 2019, and they had everyone stand up that was going to a four-year school, and they had everyone stand up that wasn't, and it was 96% of the class going to a four-year school. Um, so it, it it tells us we still have a problem. Um, I'm I'm glad we're we're working through this roundtable to share ideas and thoughts on how to fix it, and and Travis, I think about high school and, and I think at high school level, if you look at, and Brandon, you might I'd, I'd ask you to chime in, but when we look at your, your tract in high school, when you get to high school or the 11th and 12th grade, when they're into these job fairs, they've already made their decision up on their track, in my opinion. A lot of people have already made up their mind. So how do we target the, the K through eight to get them looking differently at construction before they make their decision. And I don't know, Brandon, if you've, you've experienced some of that.
2: Oh, yeah, no, definitely the same experience here. So they do most of the assessments and things like that, where you're trying to figure out your high school trajectory, you know, in fifth through eighth grade, you know, so they already have a pretty good idea of what classes they're going to take for probably the majority of their high school career. And then obviously, some people end up changing those things. It's not much different than in college in a way, right, where you set your major Know what your major is, and things could change down the road. But one thing that probably isn't put in there is construction. Construction is generally probably not one of those things in assessment that comes up. And if it is, you know, in a lot of people's world, those classes don't exist anymore mm-hmm. because they might not even have a shop or a metals class or whatever. So you know, what happens in that situation when that student gets construction as their field? Be interesting to know what happens. My guess is they just get thrown into something else and. Uh, you know, maybe probably don't get checked in on as much as they should. Um, But, you know, we're working on doing things with the Department of Education. It's one of the best uh, collaborations or relationships that we have and continue to grow is doing things with them statewide and trying to figure out how we can do, you know, so like right now we're doing a project that is it starts now. We review them in April and then we award prizes in May. But it's basically the whole spectrum all the way through 12th grade. And it splits at eighth grade. And then from ninth to 12th, it's a completely different project. So it's two different projects that they can do. It's a design competition. And then they're rewarded at the end with the winners and things like that. But just doing small things like that to introduce them to construction. In our world, in my opinion, uh, construction and the trades are STEM. So trying to, you know, collaborate and, you know, put those two together is important too. And what we can do with the the STEM community and stuff like that is, you know, we kind of just work
1: through that stuff. I like Ben's comment, Benjamin's comment here. Like if, if we brought back personal finance classes in school that then taught them about loans and interest and, you know, and debt, then then they might uh, start looking at trade schools and stuff more. I think it would change a lot of people's minds pretty quick. For sure. (laughs) All right. Well, we got about four minutes here. Is there any, any final closing thoughts from either of you that you want to throw out there? Uh, I think we all uh, established the need for a,
0: a big PR industry-wide campaign. Yeah. <laughs> it's the the cure to to help save this, I guess.
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I agree. I think you know the access to to content that helps create that campaign exists. And, and Todd, your podcast, you have the the podcast Travis. You're on one. Um, we have one in the, in the NECA side of things, the National Electrical Contractors Association. Um, I mean, there's over a million podcasts now, so maybe it's harder to find some of these things than it would have been five years ago. I think we're more agile in looking and seeing the problem and saying there is a problem. I think there was a lot of denial. I think we have organizations, Brandon mentioned a lot, the, the, the state education boards. Um, we all have our own associations that we belong to or are around. I think elevating this to the to the project level inside of those organizations, or to the the senior side of it, and and really looking for results um, can really help us move it forward. And it could be hey, five years from now we're talking about, hey, wasn't that a great great campaign? We just all figured out how to run. Right. But uh, what has to start with conversations like this?
1: Yeah, I I agree. You know, I'll. Put that bow on it here i agree that it does need to be i mean it's always in my experience it's always best to start grassroots and top down because and hopefully you'll meet in the middle so mm-hmm. hopefully stuff like what todd's doing and, and the little thing that we're doing will get some of that grassroots you know ours is more inter industry and in, but intra industry but hopefully that gets enough voices out there in and, and we work with those associations that we're we're a part of and just say hey you can't just you can't be only a, um, um, a negotiating body. You can't only be a XYZ. You need to be out there actually championing and trumpeting in, in pushing this industry into the limelight. Make it sexy again, to Christopher's point, you know, really show people out in the industry, outside of the industry, what, um, what they can do you know, and, and yes, obviously monetarily, that's, that's very, the most, probably the most attractive thing right there is six figures and no debt. Sounds like a lot of fun. I think we're all advocates now. Everybody
0: in the industry is an advocate. Yes. Go claim that mantle and go take action.
1: Right. Don't be shy. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up here. Um, thank you guys. Thank we'll have to thank Brandon later, but uh, thanks for everybody for listening in. Thanks for your, your chats and your questions. Um, hopefully you enjoyed the discussion. I, I think it was a good one and hopefully it was one that's just uh, kind of the start. We'll keep this thing going and, and Todd will take charge of the marketing um, of all of construction and be the, the <laughs> I like a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. All right. Thank you
0: everybody. All right. Thanks everybody. Okay. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. When trying to tell a compelling story, it is so important to first take time and listen, not to respond, but to understand the pain points your audience is facing. Second take. It might be a hard pill to swallow for some, but you are not the hero of the story. You are the guide. Meet people where they are and not where you want to appear. Final take. In order to change the narrative of the construction industry for the better, we all need to come together, no matter where we are in the industry, with a unified voice to share our stories. That is what will start to provide an accurate portrayal of the industry to those outside. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production, copyright applied software, 2021.